All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you may have noticed, I am not Pastor Marco. Um, and so, yeah, I know, shocker, right? Um, and so I am uh, Nathaniel. I'm the missions guy here at Storehouse, among other things. Uh, and today we are going to continue the series that we have been in in Philippians. Uh, so last week, Marco talked about uh, the beginning of chapter 3, Philippians 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. And so in that uh, sermon, in that passage, the main idea was that Paul's chief pursuit was Jesus Christ. And because of that, our chief pursuit should be Jesus Christ. And so today, Paul is actually going a little bit further in the passage we'll be in today, chapter 3, 12 through 16. And he's kind of expanding on that idea a little bit. And so as I was reading the passage and thinking about what Paul was really trying to say, it actually made me think of something uh, from my marriage with Nicole. So we've been married for uh, more than five years. It's going to be six in March. Woot woot. And uh, there's something that we really struggled with in our first couple of years. Of what happened is that I know that my wife receives love through having good quality time with me. Okay? Like spending. Oh, is this now? All right. And so. For her, she receives love with me having intentional conversation with her, you know, being able to sit down, talk to her, like actually talk to her, you know, look at her, uh, playing games, going for walks, doing stuff like that. That for her is how she receives love. And the problem came from my understanding of what that really meant. Because for me, uh, spending quality time with her could be nine hours of Netflix where I say maybe two words and they're, that's funny. As I'm laughing at the screen, I kind of look at her. And then afterward, I'll be like, oh man, we really connected during that time, you know? And so we have this uh, disconnect, this disconnect right there where her uh, understanding of what quality time is, the way that she is receiving love is completely different than my understanding. And so the the thing is, though, at the beginning of our marriage, even, this is something we talked about even when we were engaged, that I knew that for her to receive love uh, was best to receive through quality time. And so I knew it. I knew it, and I wanted to do it. The thing is, though, I really had no idea how that practically looked and how I could actually do that. And so in the same way, Paul, at the beginning of chapter 3, is giving this big idea concept that uh, we need to have Jesus Christ be our chief pursuit. But the question then comes, okay, how do I practically do that, though? How do I practically pursue Jesus Christ in my life? And Paul recognizes that there's this difficulty, and he recognizes that the uh, church is not going to understand that, and so he expands, and that's where we're going to be at today in verses 12 through 16. And so I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to dive in. So Philippians 3, 12 through 16 says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for today and just your blessing, the opportunity that we have to be able to to worship together as family. Uh, in, in the midst of, you know, everything that may be going on in audio difficulties, whatever, uh, we know that we're here to be able to worship you and that you have brought us here together for a purpose. So I ask right now that, Holy Spirit, you will just speak your word into all of our lives and our hearts and, and that the words that I'm saying are coming from you and not from me, that your message will be able to be spoken clearly and concisely. We thank you and we praise your name. Amen. All right, so today, oh man, we are going to talk about how do we practically make Jesus our chief pursuit? That's really the question. That's what last week set up, and this week we actually get to find out the answer. And so before we find the answer, though, we need a little background information. And so in verse 12, Paul is talking about this thing that he has not obtained. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. So the question is then, what's this? And so what he's talking about is the resurrection of the dead, which he talks about in verse 11, right before this. And so the resurrection of the dead, and we could actually spend forever on this, but the resurrection of the dead is talking about when we will be given new bodies, when we will be physically resurrected at the second coming of Christ. And so it's something called glorification. That's the theological term for it. So glorification basically means that Christ is coming a second time. He is coming again, and he is going to defeat death. He is going to defeat sin, and we will be physically resurrected, and our new bodies in the new heaven and the new earth will be without sin. So that is a very simple just uh, wrap-up of what glorification is, that we one day will be given new bodies without sin, and that we will live in a world without sin. And so in verse 11, he's talking about he wants to attain this. He, he wants to be there at this. And so he recognizes, though, that this is a huge thing. This is a huge concept. And that, honestly, people look at that, and they hear him say that, and people are going to think, man, Paul, you can't do that. Like, you can't be perfect in this life. And he recognizes that people are going to struggle with that. They're, they're going to know that I can't be perfect. I mean, all of us know that we can't be perfect. And so, so the, Paul is then saying, okay, I get, I get what you're coming from. I know that you can't be perfect. I know I'm not perfect. And so let me elaborate a little bit. Let me explain what I mean by that. And so in verse 12, he, he gives us three things that elaborates his intent in his statement from verse 11. <clears throat> First off, he starts saying, I am not righteous. So the first thing is that we are not righteous. He knows that he cannot uh, be without sin. He's not saying that he is. He's saying that um, I have this recognition that this is what I want. I want to be without sin, but I cannot be. It's not possible for me. In the same way, we know that we are not without sin. No matter how much we desire it, no matter how much we want to be able to say that we're doing a good job, we know that there are things in our life that are not pleasing to God. 
So to answer practically how do we make Jesus our chief pursuit, it begins with knowing that we're not even worthy of Jesus because we are not righteous. Number two, it says that Jesus has chosen him. It says, by press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what he's doing is looking back at the road to Damascus when Paul actually first encountered Jesus and uh, became a believer. And so we even talked about this last week where uh, he's going on Damas- toward Damascus on the road and he's actually going because he used to persecute Christians. He used to murder them because he felt like they were an abomination to his God. And so he's on this path and Jesus actually appears to him and calls him to him saying, I have a better plan for you. I'm going to take you out of this. I'm going to take you out of your sin and I'm going to give you a purpose. And so God chooses Paul to do something and he has chosen you. It's not a random draw. It's not something where it's just out of a hat or if it's, you know, the short straw, whatever. It is a purposeful choice that God has taken you and said, I want you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. He knows each one of us individually. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows our hopes and our desires. And he makes a choice saying, I choose you. Not only that, but he also chooses you for a purpose. Paul was chosen for a purpose on the road to Damascus. And, it's, and we see in Romans 8, 28 and 29 that we are chosen for a purpose. It says, Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So what is that purpose? In 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son. So if we're called by God, then we are called to a purpose. And that purpose is to be like Jesus. That purpose is to be holy like Jesus, to be righteous like Jesus, to love like Jesus. We're not just called randomly, and our purpose is not random either. We have a specific calling from God and a purpose from him to be like him. And so number three, the third thing he shows is that in response to being chosen, in response to that calling, that he will pursue righteousness anyway. Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So because I am chosen, I will pursue righteousness. That is exactly what Paul is saying. So in spite of our sin, in spite of all the stuff that we have done, despite our history, despite what we are currently in right now, we will pursue righteousness. We will pursue holiness, which means without sin, and strive up to an eternal life that God has given us, an eternal life that he has chosen you for and wants to give to you. It is because of that that we pursue holiness, not because we think we're good or think we're better than anyone else. It's because it's a response, a response from the choice of God in your life. So since we have a calling, we have been chosen, and now we have a purpose that we clearly understand, 
there has to be action. There has to be an action that's taken. And that's what Paul is really driving at in this passage. He's saying there's this big idea that we need to pursue God. We need to pursue Christ. And now he's breaking down his kind of reasons why. Because he's not righteous, but God chose him anyway, and I'm going to pursue holiness because of that. And so now, how do you do it? How, do, how does Paul do it? He says that in the next uh, part of the verse. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And so what's the action that he's talking about? Well, the action is to actually run a race. And so Paul actually uses this analogy multiple times throughout his letters is this, this idea of a foot race. And you've probably ran into it uh, many times. And what he's referencing is the uh, Greek Isthmian Games. And so this is uh, similar to the Olympic Games that we got now. And so there's a bunch of different events. There's uh, things going on, you know, like wrestling and, and racing and chariot races and all that. And so uh, Paul must have been a fan. He must have been a sports guy because he uses sports things constantly in his writing. And so for me, I really uh, like this. I can resonate with this because I am also a sports guy and I'm a runner. And so when I look at this, I can understand exactly what he's talking about. Because when, when you look at those games, when you look at the Olympic Games today, uh, it's not just a pastime for these athletes, right? It, it's a passion. Like, these guys train their entire lives for this event. They, they are going nonstop for this. And when you look back at these uh, Isthmian Games in ancient Greece, what happened on the foot race, because that's what Paul's specifically referencing, when you look at the foot race, at the end of the track was a big pillar, right? And at the top of the pillar was the prize that the winner got. And so, I mean, it was real simple. You start the race, first one there and grabs the prize, you win it. That's the way it was. And so he's using this idea to think about this race with this pillar at the end of the track with a prize on it. And then he's taking that and he's applying it to God. And even more with uh, going even more into the running analogy, with running itself, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of discipline. If you're somebody who runs a lot, if you're somebody who's training like for a marathon or half marathon or even like a 5K, like you know that everything you do in your life affects how you're going to run. If you are running and, and you're training and then you're like, man, I'm just going to go eat that Whataburger you are going to suffer later that day when you try to make your run because certain things you put in your body just do not mix with uh, being able to do physical exercise. So you have to train your body. You have to be consistent with your running, with your training. You have to eat well. You have to make sure that you're, you're doing things in your life that are going to contribute to your goal of running and running well. Okay, who, who knows Usain Bolt? Yeah? I mean, it should be everybody. I mean, come on. He's like probably one of the most famous people of our day. He is the fastest man alive and probably the fastest man there has ever been. 
So Usain Bolt is an amazing dude, and he has done some amazing things in the Olympics over his career. Uh, he actually can run over 27 miles an hour. I mean, that's like you could, he could get a ticket in a school zone. Like, it's amazing just what he can do. And so Usain Bolt is one of those guys, though, that I really look up to because to be able to be at that level, to be able to be that kind of athlete, your life has to be so strict and rigid. And he even talks about it in multiple interviews because people ask him, how did you get to this point? And and he talks about his training and how he does uh, two or three training sessions every single day, how he eats a very specific thing for every single meal. Like, not even a general, like, food group. Like, he says, this is what I eat every day, every meal at this time. And he doesn't take any breaks. There is no vacation. You have to be constant. He says, uh, after one of his uh, gold medal wins, he actually was quoted saying this. I think a lot of people just see you run and they say, oh, it looks so easy, effortless. But before it gets to that point, it's hard. It's hard work. It's day in, day out sacrifice. Day in and day out. Just during this time when you run, you just want to stop yourself and give up and say, to heck with this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go home. The day when you get up and you know you have training today, there's going to be pain. Like, oh God, I don't want to go, but you got to go. He recognizes how difficult it is because he's living it. And yet he chooses to do it because he has a purpose. He has a goal in mind. And so his entire life is focused on this, on this goal. And he has a single-minded pursuit. Everything in his life is wrapped around his goal to be the fastest man in the world. And the things that don't meet up with that, the things that maybe uh, push him away from that goal, he discards. He gets rid of them. So just like a runner, Paul is saying that we need to have a single-minded pursuit of our goal, of our purpose. Everything in our life has to contribute to it. Everything that we do, everything we think about, every action that we take, every word that we say has to contribute to our goal, our purpose, which is to be like Jesus. And the things in our life that are not contributing to that, the things in our life that are going to push us away from that, they need to be discarded. So to run our race, Paul gives us three tips, three pro tips. This is how you can be a good athlete in the kingdom of God. Number one, forget the past. Things will always pull your attention. In, in running, there's distractions. I mentioned before Whataburger. That's one of my big distractions because it's like the only place next to my house, and it's delicious. And I always want to get it, but I know it's going to hurt. Going out to eat, going, getting uh, the food that you really like, there's a reason why it's so popular. It's because it's all really, really good, but it's horrible for you. And so when you're a runner, you can't eat those things. You can't uh, go and let distractions pull you from your goal. You can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm too tired today. I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. 
That's how you go weeks without actually doing anything. There's distractions in the life of a runner. There's distractions in the life of an athlete. And there's distractions in our life as a believer. There's things that are holding us back from being able to pursue this goal. And it could look like so many different things. It could be shame. It could be regret for your past. I know a lot of us come from a background where we did things in our previous life before Jesus Christ where just the thought of it kind of just makes us want to curl up in a ball and say, please, nobody remember that. One of the biggest struggles that I still have even today is going back to my hometown and talking to people from my high school because I know they remember the way I was back in high school. And it is not somebody I was proud of. It's not somebody that God was proud of. I did a lot of stuff that fills me still with shame. There's other things in our life that may be holding you back, whether it's just busyness. We have a lot of hardworking people in this church, and it is easy for your schedule to fill up with things. It is easy for your day to get away from you. And all of a sudden, it's 1130 at night, and you're thinking, I just want to go to bed, but I have not prayed today. I haven't read my Bible today. I haven't even thought of God at all, but I'm just so tired. I need sleep, so I'm going to worry about my health, and I'm going to go to bed. Not a bad thing in itself, but still a distraction for your goal. There are always going to be things in your life that are distracting you. And we need to figure out what are those things distracting me. And it doesn't just uh, apply to the bad things in your life either, or stuff like, th- or stuff like busyness or, or just your schedule. It can also apply to really good things. It is very easy for somebody to get caught up in looking at the good old days. Looking behind you and saying, I remember when I was like that. Man, that was a good time. I really pursued God in that. Or maybe back then was everything just fell together. I, I really had my life together back then, and I know that I was doing a good job. But your focus is so much on living back then, living in the good old days. I know a lot of athletes still struggle with, man, back in high school, I could run 150 yards and score 15 touchdowns in just one game. Like that was something that uh, I know a lot of athletes still just look on and they look at it and they get caught up in that moment. And, And in the same way in our lives, we get caught up in these moments in our past where we say that was what it's all about. That was a good time. And you, you make this unconscious decision that it's not going to repeat itself or you're not going to have a better time in your life. And the truth is that right now in this moment is the supposed to be, it's supposed to be your best moment. Right now we should be living a life that is pursuing God and showing and reflecting Jesus Christ in a way that has never happened before. Every single day is an opportunity for you to serve him in a new and exciting way. And he has a plan for you to do just that if you would only open your eyes and stop looking behind you. 
Stop looking behind you either in shame or regret or stop looking behind you in pride. Look forward. And that's the next thing that he talks about is that we need to strain forward. So first tip, forget the past. Stop looking behind you. Second one, to strain forward, run toward that end post. And, and the analogy he's using, he's talking about uh, in the Greek games, they had that post and the prize is on the post. You can see it in front of you. So he says, when you're running for that prize, you're reaching out, you're going for it because it's right there. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, Paul says, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. These athletes at these games are running for a prize, just a wreath or for honor, for glory. And it is something that is going to fade away. And yet they devote themselves to it. You look at these professional athletes today and they are completely devoted to their goal to be the best. But none of that lasts forever. None of that lasts for eternity. And so Paul is saying we have a prize even greater than that, that will last forever. We have a prize in eternal life with Jesus Christ. How can we not run even harder than they do? How can we not be pursuing that goal in a way that just blows the mind of every single person in this world? We look at these athletes like Usain Bolt and we say, man, if only I was that self-disciplined. If only I could do things the way he does, that would be really great. I could achieve so much. That's just laziness. God has called us for a purpose, which is to be like him. And it is laziness not to pursue that, not to do our best to live up to that standard every single day. So we need to press forward. We need to focus ahead. We need to make sure that we are constantly going for it as hard as we can. And to do that, we have to exercise discipline and self-control. That means we got to train our body, train our mind, train our spirit. And so what's, what's that really look like in your life as a believer? What's it look like to train as hard as Usain Bolt trains? Well, you need to exercise discipline and self-control, as it says right here in 1 Corinthians. There's always going to be things that you want to do that you don't necessarily need to do. There's going to be things in your life that are always going to feel better than what's necessary. I mean, just look at something as simple as just finances. In your finances, you may want to go and purchase this thing, you know, whatever it is, uh, I don't know, Xbox One, right? That's popular. Uh, you may want to go purchase it and play games, and it will feel good. And you'll have fun. But if you are in debt, 
and you don't have the money to pay $300, $400 for an Xbox One, then it is completely irresponsible for you to be spending that money. It's a distraction from your goal to be able to be fiscally responsible, to be able to be out of debt. And so there's things in our life that we need to have self-control on and say, no, I'm not going to do that because it's not going to be beneficial to me. I know we, uh, in this past election, the past presidential election, there's a lot of stuff on Pence, the vice president that we have now, about how he wouldn't have meetings with uh, women one-on-one. And being in the ministry, I know there's a lot of uh, pastors who do the same thing, where they won't have just one-on-one meetings with women. And now, whether you agree with that or not, their intent is that um, they are not put in a situation where they will be tempted. And so for them, they may know what they're like. They may know what they struggle with. We don't know that. We don't know their situation. But what they're doing is they're trying to safeguard themselves from being put in a situation where they may sin. There's situations like that for all of us. Where there's situations that we should not be put into. If you're somebody that comes from a history of alcoholism... Going to the pub with your buddies at night and putting down three or four beers may not be the best idea. Is it a sin to drink beer? No. But you're putting yourself in a situation where it may not be the best idea. If you're somebody that you know you have an obsessive personality and you can just focus on one thing and just put everything else to the side, and this is me, this is what I do, I I can get so obsessed on like a work project or something that I'm doing and everything else kind of falls to the wayside. If you're that kind of person, then don't allow projects for fun that may distract you from what you need to do to completely consume you. I have a friend uh, who he's also like me in this and his thing is playing video games forever and ever And his wife has talked to me before about how he will just play video games all night. And they have a kid now. And he will continue to play video games because he needs his stress release. Or he he knows that that's what he, you know, he needs to beat that game. And so for them in their marriage, this distraction, which in itself is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with a video game. But that distraction is, is taking their marriage and putting it behind a video game. It's taking their child and putting it behind a video game, which sounds so dumb, right? But yet he, in his situation, he doesn't see it. So we need to evaluate our lives. We need to see what are those things in our life that are being distractions to us. We need to make sure that we are not being lazy in the things that we do. We need to make sure that we continuously strive to be better. It is so easy from one day to the next just to decide that you're going to put something off till tomorrow. I know that struggle. I have done it before. And it honestly doesn't help at all. If you got something to do, do it today. Do it right now. 
And that includes your walk with Christ. Don't keep saying, oh, I'm just in a really hard place right now. Say, I'm going to actively pursue him in this moment today. Don't say, if it's like, you know, Friday, and you're like, man, I haven't had any time with God. I haven't read my Bible in weeks. I really need to start doing that. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait till Monday because that's a good starting point, right? So on Monday, I am going to start and I'm going to be strict and I'm going to be do this, this regiment, right? I mean, how many people have done that before? I know I do it all the time. And so uh, I think at this future point, just because it's convenient or it makes sense in some warped way, I'm going to start doing that. And then Monday comes and it's really busy and it doesn't happen. And then it's Tuesday. I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't do it on Monday. Well, I need to wait till next Monday and then I'll do it then. That's what we do in so many things. It's what we do in our life constantly. And you know it's true. We need to create routines. When you're an athlete, when you're a runner, Usain Bolt, he's got a routine where he gets up at a certain time, he eats a certain thing for breakfast, he goes and does a certain workout, and then he keeps going during that day. He keeps doing what he needs to do. In our life, we need to have a routine when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus Christ. And I know a little pushback you may, I may get from that is that uh, people say, oh, but it's supposed to be like a relationship. It's supposed to be natural, right? Yes, it's, it's a relationship. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. But sometimes you need to schedule things even in your personal relationships. My wife and I need to sometimes schedule times that we have dates, schedule times when we spend time together. Even with my friends, like I have to say a week ahead of time, hey, dude, let's hang out this day, this time, because if I don't do it, I will never have the free time to do it because your schedule fills up. There is nothing wrong with making a schedule and keeping to it. It is not pulling away from the relationship. So making a schedule to be with God is not pulling away from the relationship. In fact, it's actually saying to God that you value your relationship with him enough to actually schedule it, to commit time to it where nothing else can get in that way. So we need to make schedules. We need to make regular rhythms. If that means you got to wake up at 4 a.m. and just read your Bible, that's what you got to do. I'm looking at Evan because he did that. Just to make sure he got that time. If you need to do that, then do it. Stop limiting yourself. Stop holding yourself back. And thirdly, he says that we need to remember the prize. So don't look behind you. Stop looking back. Strain forward, pursuing it, and remember what you're running toward. Remember the prize that you're going for. In Romans 5, it talks about how sin came into the world through Adam and condemned all man. Christ came into this world, and through his death and resurrection, through one man, all men who believe will be saved. It says, as sin reigned in death, this is 521, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. 
leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's two aspects to this prize. One is eternal life. Part of this prize that we're pursuing is eternal life. God sees a separation from man through sin. Because God is fully holy and righteous, meaning he is without sin and he is just and knows that the punishment of sin is death. He sees that there's this separation because we are born with sin. And he says, I do not want that separation. I want to have a relationship with you. I I choose to be in a relationship with you. And so he makes a way for us to overcome this through Jesus Christ by sending his son to this earth who lived a life fully God and fully man. He lived here. He experienced the same things you do. He experienced the same sensations, the same feelings. It says in Hebrews that he understands everything that you're going through because he lived it. God made a way through Jesus Christ that you, through faith, and you confess with your mouth that you can be saved. And you can have eternal life with him. This grand idea of the resurrection of the dead, of glorification, of being without sin, he made it possible that we can have that someday. All the stuff that we deal with now, all the stuff that we may have weighing heavily on our hearts now, can be washed completely away. He makes this possible. He gives it to us. And all we need to do is have faith in Jesus Christ, and believe in what he has done. The second aspect of our prize is the race itself. Paul speaks uh, in this passage of having an upward call to heaven. This upward call is, is talking about a, an actionable state, like you are moving forward toward that calling. So he's saying that we are actually receiving some of that reward even as we are going toward the ultimate reward of eternal life. And so your, your journey today, the stuff you're going through today, is a prize within itself. Just like we look behind, we can look ahead too far, right? And so we need to make sure that we're focusing on today. Use every single day that you have as a chance to grow closer to God and share in this amazing gospel that he has given us through his word. We may know the end, right? We may know that we have glorification coming, but we don't know what every single day is going to look like. We don't know what our future really holds day in and day out. And so one thing that I always keep in mind when I start stressing too much about the future or stressing too much about being in God's will or knowing where I'm supposed to go next is I think of when I go camping and I'm in the woods. And so when you're in the woods, this is the middle of nowhere, right? So there's no light. It can be pitch black. And, and you may be hiking along a trail, and you've got a flashlight, and you're shining that flashlight in front of you on the ground. The flashlight has a certain radius that it's showing, right? But everything outside of that radius is pitch black still. 
But as long as I have that flashlight and I'm shining it in front of me, I can see what's right ahead of me and I won't trip. I can see the roots. I can see the path. I know that my next step is good. In the same way, when we are going through our life, we need to be able to shine the light of the gospel on the path in front of us and know that as long as our next step is within the will of God, as long as our next step is pursuing Jesus Christ, then we know we're going to stay on that path and we know we will not stumble. You get into trouble when you take your flashlight and you shine it on ahead of you and you're looking out and what's up there, forgetting about your path right now. Remember, we are called and chosen for a purpose in this life. Yes, we are excited about the future. Yes, we are excited about being able to spend eternity with him in a new heaven and a new earth. And we know that's coming and we know it is going to happen. But in the meantime, we have a life to live today that we need to focus on, that we need to make sure that we are living to the best of our ability. And we need to make sure that every single step that we take is going to be glorifying him and showing him to others. So I encourage you to pursue righteousness, using everything in your life to guide you toward your purpose. And pursue it with a single-minded ferocity every single day. So don't let those distractions keep you from this race. There's always that excuse. There's always a distraction to keep you away from the life-changing power of Jesus. But that's what Jesus is about, is transforming lives. And so don't withhold. Actually, refusing to do so reflects an immaturity. And that's what Paul talks about in the next verse, in, in verse 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's saying that believers think this way. Those who are following Christ actively, they think this way. They think that I need to pursue holiness with my entire life. And if you don't think that way, if you call yourself a believer and you do not think that way, maybe you're thinking that I don't have any work left. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've been a Christian forever. I'm good to go. Maybe you're thinking, oh, God will forgive me anyway of that sin because he, he forgives. So it's okay that I don't deal with it. Maybe you're someone that is thinking, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Maybe you're someone that's thinking that the work doesn't justify the end because you have been called, thus you're saved, thus your job is over. That's not true. God says that because of our calling, we have action to take. We have stuff to do. There is no excuse, and it reflects immaturity to think that you have no job to do right now in your life as you're supposed to be pursuing holiness and righteousness. Paul is sincere and he's confident knowing that he's right when he says that he hopes that God will reveal that also to you. But he's also kind of saying with a little attitude. If you read a lot of Paul's letters, you'll, you'll recognize that he can be snarky sometimes. He, uh, he can really kind of dig in at people. And so you can imagine as he's 
writing this, you know, he's saying, these are the things we need to do. We need to pursue righteousness, pursue holiness, try to be like Christ because that's our purpose. And I'm so glad that you recognize this. By the way, if you don't get that, then man, I really hope that God reveals that to you. He's just taking a shot right at him. But what it does is it reflects a heart, a hard heart in you and a stubborn heart. If you're that person who's saying that I have an excuse for not dealing with my sin, I have an excuse for not dealing with my laziness, my pride, my stubbornness. So in the same way, I'm praying today that if you are telling yourself a lie, that you will have your heart softened today in this moment and that you will repent. So let's bring it all in. Let's tie everything up. In conclusion, we need to recognize our own unrighteousness. We need to praise God because we are chosen You have been chosen by him. And because we are chosen, we need to fulfill our purpose. And our purpose is to be like Jesus Christ. And we fulfill our purpose by taking action now today, by pursuing holiness, by trying to be like him in everything that we do. And we do that through seeking to know God better, through his scripture, through his word, by being in relationship with him, by praying that he gives us maturity and a heart that reflects him. We quiet the distractions. We don't look behind. We don't look too far ahead, but rather we strain for the goal that he has set before us and we go for it with everything that we have. We run our race with a single-minded pursuit that will allow us to achieve our goals. And if you're somebody who's sitting here right now and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're someone who's listening to this saying, I'm still not sure about this. Or maybe you've been listening and you're saying, I do want that. Because I tell you right now that a life serving God is a life better served. I have been in both situations where I had a life as an adult where I did not serve God and I have a life now where I do and I can promise you that my life now is better. It is not a set of rules. It's not saying that you have to do this, this, and this, and this. It's rather saying that because we have a relationship with him, he has called you. He chooses you today, even in this moment, even if you've never done it before. He chooses you right now saying, I want you to be part of my church. I want you to be in relationship with me. And because of that, because of that love, you are going to respond in a way that allows you to live a life better than you are living now. So if that's you today, don't let another day go by where you do not give your life to him because it is the best life to live. So if that's you today and you're sitting there saying, I want to do that, then all you have to do is talk to him. He's listening right now. You have access to the Father. You do not have to go through someone else. You do not have to do any other things. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in what you have done. I believe that you came and you died for me. And I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. And I want to live for you today from now on. That's all it takes. 
If you need to talk to somebody more about this or you just have questions, then please come find me afterward. I would be glad to talk to you. So finally, to really answer our question from the beginning. Our question at the beginning was, how do we practically make Jesus our chief pursuit? The answer is that we conform our whole life to a single-minded pursuit of holiness. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for today and everything that you've done. How we, we praise you for choosing us and, and calling each one of us to be able to live a life better than we've ever had before. Just the fact that you have chosen us in itself is amazing. There's not enough words that we can say that can lift you up. There's not enough things that we can say to be thankful the way we should be. But you love us. You desire us. You pursue us. And you have given us a purpose. It is so easy to go through life not feeling like we have a purpose. It's so easy to go through saying, I don't know why I'm here. I feel like I'm stuck in this job or I feel like I'm stuck in this situation and I don't know what to do with it. But you have called us to a specific purpose and we have something that we can pursue, something that we can chase. And that purpose is to be like you because you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. We pray that you help us to be like you. Help us to be righteous. Help us to be holy. Help us to pursue that. And help us to put all the distractions behind us. Don't let anything interfere with our walk with you. We thank you so much. And we just put this before you. Because you tell us that if we speak things in your name, that it will come to pass. And we speak this in your name right now, Jesus Christ, that we will be able to pursue righteousness in a way that has never been seen before. As we now transition into a time of offering, I thank you for the opportunity that we can give, that you help us to pursue holiness and righteousness through generosity that we are able to give and impact the kingdom of God in a real way with the money you have blessed us with. I ask that you help us today to be able to be generous. Help us today to be able to put our finances in your hands and to know that you are sovereign over all things and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you and we praise your name. Amen.